Hey, this is Mary Walsh, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Mary, we're both two Newfoundlanders, so I feel like you're going to get this question right off the hop, but what are you at? Uh, not that much. I'm at the garden these days <laughs> trying to get everything in, but, uh, you know, I'm not never at the fish, but uh, I did. My brother did give me a couple of squid the other day, which was good because the squid were just rolling in like Capelin last in the middle of this month. Everything's gone so bizarre, but now it's cold. And so that feels right. It's cold uh, at the end of August, but I suppose we'll get a few other nice days. But that's what I'm at. Are you like, are you a fan more of, of the hotter weather or the warmer weather or the cold weather? Because I feel like in Newfoundland, we don't get summer. We just get fall and winter. I know. We did get some really hot days this year, weirdly enough, and in August. And they always used to say, once the regatta, which happens the first Wednesday of August, after the regatta, you've got to break out your uh, fur coat, right? And that's the way it was forever. And we had a cold July. We had a hot June, which we never get. And then we had a cold July and a hot August. And now it's uh, it's after getting cold again. So, like, are you a fan, though, of, like, the more or less the colder weather? No, I'm a, I'm a fan of all weather. Uh, you know, I would like it to be for the winter to not be so messy like it is here on the Avalon. I'd like it to be more like it is in the rest of Newfoundland, like really like the winter. But here it snows in the morning and then it'll rain in the afternoon and then it'll freeze. And then there's no footwear known to man that can withstand, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, so you're always wet and miserable kind of. Yeah, because I feel like when you're up away in the mainland or in Ontario or uh, Toronto, like I feel like those have different weather climates itself, but like it gets really cold. So you're like, okay, I'm used to the cold where it's like when you try to breathe in, you're like, okay, I'm braced for the cold. But here it's almost like, okay, am I going out with this? Like, am I going out with snowsuit today? What's going on here? I know it's just, and, and now I'm used to that, that kind of. And so when I went to Labrador for a few months, like I found it really oppressive that it was so sunny and white and, you know, blue sky and everything. And I thought, is it, is the fog never going to roll in? Is it never going to, you know, get warm and, uh, that's the way I found it in Ontario, but I think it's different now in Ontario. Like that was when I was going to Ryerson yeah. and it was really like the winter would come in and that was it. It was like crunch, 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 crunch on the snow all the time. It never rained. It never got foggy. It was just cold, right? Where your nose yeah. would just <laughs> stick to the inside of your nose and you always were walking on crunchy stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. So that's what I'm used to, I guess. So that's what I kind of like is that changeableness, you know, like you never know when the summer comes in in Nova Scotia, even if you can pretty well count on it being the summer, it never, there are no cold days. There are wet days or gray days, but there are no cold days, but we actually get cold days. Well, it's funny because it's like, if you play certain Newfoundland, like every, every, I guess, province has their own kind of songs or artists that will relate to a song. But it's like, if you play a great foggy day to someone in Ontario, they'd be like, I, I don't understand. Why do you Newfies like this so much? I'm like, because it's always foggy and we can relate to it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And tell them not to call us Newfies because yeah, that yeah. really <laughs> just drives me crazy. Shut up. But um, yeah, no, it's it's what you get used to, isn't it? With everything, right? Yeah. I yeah. want to I want to ask because now I have two older brothers. So I'm a, I'm the youngest of two, but you've had, I believe you're the seventh of eighth. So yes. like, tell me. I got two older ones. So I'm the youngest. They're always picking on me. I get all the hand-me-downs. So you're number seven. Tell me how that dynamic works. Well, I didn't grow up with my family. I grew up next door to my family. (laughs) Yeah. So I got given away when I was eight months old to my two maiden aunts and an uncle who lived at number nine Carter's Hill. And most of my family lived at number seven Carter's Hill, my mom and dad and everybody, until I was about 11. And then they moved up around the bay. So then I used to spend some, I actually spent more time with them when they didn't live next door. So I'm an only child from a large family. So, like, how how does that dynamic work? Because that's actually an interesting, uh, I guess, concept. They're like, do they, what do you mean by just give you away? Do they just go like, here's her baby, you take care of it? 
I guess, you know, I was only eight months old, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't really remember. No, and then fair. I never really felt like I could actually ask. But what the story is, is that I went in the hospital when I was eight months old with pneumonia. And when I came out of the hospital, mom and dad's house at number seven was damp and cold. And Aunt May and Aunt yeah. Fien and Uncle Jack's house was warmer and not and drier. And so I went there, you know, at, from the hospital. And then I guess, you know, they forgot to come up and get me or they never gave me back or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it was much more common as it is in most subsistence kind of uh, cultures uh, for other people to bring you up than your, you know, like Michael Crummy was talking the other day and his aunt wanted to take him because they had no kids and they wanted to take him. And there was a period of time where they were thinking about giving him away, but they didn't give him away because he was Michael Crummy and so adorable, but me, they did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it, 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 it is more, it was more common for sure. Now I want to ask you, of course, when did you get into the whole, like uh, the comedy aspect? Cause for myself, like I knew when I was coming out of high school down here, and I believe Rick said it at one point in one of his Rick rants, it's like, are you going to Mon? Or if you're not going to Mon, you're going to Kona. So that's the only two options. So I went to Mon, but in my mind, I was like, I want to be on SNL. Like I want to do comedy stuff, but I like never really seen anyone go out of the province to do it until I seen like this hour's 22 minutes. Codco. You didn't see Codco? I, we I'm were 20, on in 19... I'm, listen, Mary, I'm 29. <laughs> yeah, so... But but you didn't because it sort of was a continuous stream after that, right? Like there was Codco, then there was the wonderful Grand Bands, then there was uh, what's it called, <laughs> This Hour, and yeah. Rick. You know, so it was like on ending of people going and doing comedy. Oh no, like I, I've seen it, but it was just to the point where I was looking at it and I'm like, okay, like these people had connections, or they went from like once you went to Codco to This Hour's Twenty Two Minutes, I'm like, okay, you're kind of made. Where I'm just still like. I wasn't down here like a Mark Critch doing shows or at local comedy festivals. I was like, okay, how do I get there? And I'm only young. So at the time I was like, well, I guess I can do a communications degree and see where that leads. Right, so, right, yeah. right. Well, what seems to work, and of course, Johnny Harris and all them were in, um, you know, and, and Rick was in, um, Rick was in Corey and Wade's Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Harris and, and Steve and Dave Sullivan and them were in the Newfoundland a dance party. And so it's, and we were in Codco, you know, which was a comedy troupe and Critch was in um, Catfoot. So it yeah. seems what seems to work in from out of Newfoundland is to get in a crowd. Now people are mostly, I suppose these days doing more stand up, but I think that really, you know, how does stand up uh, help you to do a sketch comedy show or even a sitcom, you know, I mean, I know stand-ups go into sitcom, they use their material yeah. and stuff like that. But I just think that, you know, sketch comedy troops, like you you really have to act as well as do comedy, right? Like it's just a good, a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Like I uh, actually, when you bring that up, cause the first thing that came to mind, obviously, like again with Codgo in 22 minutes, but like when you mentioned about getting in a group, uh, like I remember, uh, whose lines it anyway and watching like Colin mockery ryan styles and like i look at those and i'm like man like individually they're good but when you put them all together and on a show especially when drew carey was the host i'm like there was not a moment where someone didn't zing someone or say something back and then they were ready to go right back at him i'm like man you're putting this on tv i'm like this is great we went to see colin in a show at the bbc when we were myself and my husband were uh, in harlow and we brought my husband's daughter, who was, you know, going out with a guy who was from rural India. And okay. when he met Colin, he almost died because that's all they talked about. Like they got, um, whose line is it anyway? And that's what they talk about at school and they do bits from, you know. So that was a massive show. And Colin was on uh, this hour for a while. Yeah. We, yeah. we had that we had that discussion with Colin when he was on and he basically yeah. said that it was the scheduling and then I think that's how Mark got his break because he was a writer and they auditioned so many and I think Critch ended I up think getting that it. Mark got his break because Andy Jones said to me yeah. when I was still on this hour, Mark Critch is really funny and he's not mean. You should get him. <laughs> and so when we had our meeting, I said, you know, there's this guy, Mark Critch, who's really funny and not mean. And then somebody from the CBC 
wasn't uh, in favor of Mark that year. But then, you know, we kept going, you know, and and uh, I guess Mark came on as a writer and then he's such a prodigious writer and so extraordinarily talented that yeah. he just, you know. I feel like if you're talented and you're driven, it's going to, it's like no matter how many doors are put up in your way, you'll find yeah. a way to, to break it down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to, I want to ask you, cause you did mention about going to Ryerson. Now, of course, when you were at Ryerson, you were doing theater, but then of course you kind of drop that to go into Codco. Explain like that whole process. Cause today I feel like even in my shoes, if I told my parents, listen, like I know I went up to Carleton university and did a communications degree, but listen, I'm thinking about quitting all that and doing comedy. They look at me and be like, what? What are you doing? But sure, Bob Joy got the Rhodes Scholarship. He was at Oxford and he came home to do the Codco tour with us. And the Codco tour ended up being a month longer. So he called them at Christchurch and said, could I take an extra month? And they said, no, you either have to come back now or you're out. And so his mother never really forgave us. And so he stayed. So, I mean, going to Carlton or Ryerson is not like getting the Rhodes Scholarship and being yeah. at Christ Church in Oxford and quitting to do a tour of Newfoundland with Codco. Oh, yeah. His mother's, I guess Mrs. Joy is gone now, but I don't think she ever got over that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, I was just going to, oh, hold on a second. Put away my Carlton degree. Mary doesn't want to see my Carlton degree. <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me about how this all Codco came to be. Cause now you said 1988 to 1993. Now we had Kathy on, like this was maybe a year ago. And Kathy was saying more or less like you got your start kind of on the wonderful grand band. And then that kind of went into Codco. No, 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 no. Codco began as Codco in Toronto yeah. with Cod on a Stick in 1973 okay. or 1974, right? I, think I mean, Codco did tours of England. They did. We did American in 1976. We represented Canada in Philadelphia. We broke up, I guess, in 76, and we went our own way, kind of. And yeah. uh, then Michael Donovan approached us in 1986, I think, to do a Codco TV show, which none of us really wanted to do because really we'd been broken up for 10 years, but we'd worked together on and off with each other and stuff. But it seemed like a good idea. And so we went up to Halifax to do, you know, the Codco TV show. So there was Kathy, you, Tommy, and Andy. Is that correct? And Greg. And Greg. Like, so tell me, like, so we lost Diane and we lost yeah. Bob, who had been the original members of Codco. How did you go then from Codco to 22 Minutes? Because I know Tommy wasn't involved with 22 Minutes, that's where we got Rick. No, it, it didn't have anything to do with Tommy. I went to Michael Donovan and I, I yeah. wanted to do a show at the LSBU Hall every Friday night that did the news of the week, right? Because yeah. we had done a lot of newsy kind of stuff in Codco. And so Michael said, well, you know, Evan Fitzan is looking for a show just like that. Evan Fitzan was running CBC at that time. And so somehow between the jigs and the reels, we ended up with Canadian Air Force and uh, this hour is 22 minutes. And I went over to Rick and Gerald's and I said, you know, I'm just, and Michael said, I think it's a good idea. I went over to Rick and Gerald's. I went down to Kathy's. I said, it's going to be a news show. It's going to be making fun of the news. Like uh, that was the week that was. And she said, I don't do news. I don't, yeah, yeah. you know, and I said, well, that would be great. I think that that's a whole different point of view. That's what we need. Uh, yeah. Rick and Gerald, Rick had just done a show, uh, Charles, somebody must die. And so Gerald said, well, I'll, we'll do it if I can be the creative director. And then we got Toomey, Greg Toomey and Andy was supposed to do it too. But then Andy didn't decide that he didn't want to do it. You know, in Newfoundland, Tommy Sexton is a great name, great comedian, but like, tell me a little bit of stories with you and Tommy. Like what was your relationship with him? What are some highlights that you can remember from Tommy? Well, like I said, you know, I went to Ryerson in like 1973, I guess. And I had been on the road with the Newfoundland Traveling Theater Company. That's where I, it's not like it's where I met Tommy because, you yeah. know, Tommy's brother, Marty, had been in our gang in grade eight. And Greg Malone's brother, Carrie, had been in our gang. And Andy and Kathy's sister, Mary Wynn, had been in my class. So you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But th that's when I worked with Tommy. But Tommy was only, Tommy decided, both Tommy and and Rick, oddly enough, both quit school in grade 10. 
both, you know, with a 90 to 100 average and just decided they didn't. And Tommy hitchhiked to Toronto. So myself and Tommy and uh, Diane and I guess Paul Samets had a place on Huron Street in Toronto. And so we all lived together. And I went to Ryerson and Tommy and Diane went to... Paul Thompson at Theatre Pasmerai to audition for a job. And he said, here's 300 bucks, write your own show about your own experience. And that's where Caught on a Stick came out of that. It's kind of interesting because like I know on um, 22 Minutes, you played a character named Marg and then you mm. played one and then Marg the Warrior Princess. I want to ask, because I'm sure you get this one asked a, a few times, but like why the Warrior Princess? Were you like, did you like the idea of a Warrior Princess or were you just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to do this one day and see how this turns out. Well, first, Marg was in her nightdress, you know, yeah. and in her house coat. And then I had, I cut bangs, you know, like straight across bangs. And I looked just like someone that Lucy Loveless. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to just do a send up of that. <laughs> and then I ended up, um, you know, it just seemed like a better way to ambush people than in your, in yeah. your house coat. So that's, you know, went from there. Yeah, yeah, because I, I love the fact, like, when we had Rick on, Rick was saying, like, when you went to that extreme to go from Marg and then Warrior Princess, he's like, we, he's like, how how can you compete? He's like, we tried our best, but, like, <laughs> you got Marg doing her thing. He's like, I'm doing rants. Yeah, and then he's like, it just worked. And I was like, yeah, it's like everyone has their talent. So it's like, you're, you're going to stay tuned the whole time to watch it. But mm. um, one of the things that I really loved, and like my mom loves it, my aunt loves it, when you when you and Kathy play the old ladies. And now I feel like, if you mention that to them today, they're just like, you know, like, oh, well, I think you guys are starting to turn into those old ladies. They're like, no, that's insulting, Brian. Don't say that to us. And I'm just like, well, it sounds the same to me. You're, you're complaining about the same stuff. <laughs> when am I complaining? No, no, no. Like in the, in the character, like when you're talking about like the certain things that happened and you're like, oh, it's like today's generation, blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, we're getting up there. And then I was just like, when I watch it and then I'm like, oh, it reminds me of like sometimes when my parents go on their oh, yeah, little yeah. Rant, right yeah. so then i was like but they don't like being told that because of course when they're watching it when they were younger they're like they're laughing at it and going like oh yeah it's like that's how our nans used to talk and then it's like yeah. well now you are those nans <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. but yeah. tell me a little tell me how those characters came to be like was it were you just joking around one day two of you sitting down talking about like this is how your aunts or uncles used to talk or nans and said why don't we try that as a character kathy and i used to do Cass and betty furlong yeah on um Codco, we did a sketch called Wake of the Week. Okay. And so we'd always be, you know, like those people who go to wakes and for the sandwiches and stuff. Enid and, and Eulalia were just an outcrop of, of those two characters, right? Do you do you remember any like um, fond moments from doing those characters? Because I know when I was going into uh, your Twitter, like CBC Gem still has you two playing those characters. And I love how the one clip that you have on it was just like, does life get better with age? And it's like you two sing this song. And I was like, I was like, okay, well, I feel like I'm getting older. So I'm like, Mary, does life actually get better with age? That's the way it's been for me. <laughs> and um, I think people have found that generally. There's a, a U bend. And I don't know if, if this has been proven to be untrue, but there has been scientific studies that show that life, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what your health, yeah. that it actually does get better as you age. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I'm turning 30 and I was like terrified because I'm like, oh my God, I'm turning 30. But if you're telling me life gets better with age, then I'm, I'm going to probably plan in my calendar. Okay, we're getting to 40. Okay, things are going to get better, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, you got to get to 50. <laughs> yeah. Because you're I mean, going to be squeezed in that other time. I, I want to ask you too, because I guess from a Newfoundlander perspective here, but like, you know, you've got 18 Gemini Awards. You won a Canadian Screen Award uh, most recently in 2021 for a happy place. Like when you were younger, did you ever look back and think like all this was going to be capable? Were you even like thinking about awards or were you just more or less like, I want to do this as a career? Hmm. I definitely was not thinking about awards. I mean, you were saying that when you were young, you didn't think that there was anybody doing comedy or that you could do it. But really, there was nobody when we were young. Yeah, yeah. You know, there has been nobody. You know, there was like we were just even in the it not just in Newfoundland, but in Canada, you know, people were going from you know, little theaters, which was basically university theaters or the Wolverhampton players would come in. But mostly we were doing you know, Theater Pass Mirai did the farm show in 1969 
And that was one of the groundbreaking shows. That was a show about Canadians, by Canadians, for Canadians, about Canadians, about ordinary people. And that was a kind of revolutionary kind of thing at that point. And that's, we were all part of that too. And so there were no theaters or anyone. And there was like, the great thing was that you weren't waiting around for somebody to give you a job because there yeah. wasn't, were no jobs. You were just making up things as you went along. So no, of course I wasn't thinking about awards or anything like that, but we wanted to, when we came back, we wanted to, I think it was Andy who said it, or maybe it was Greg, I don't know, but that St. John's would, through our efforts and the efforts of other great people here in the province, St. John's would become the theatrical capital of North America. Yeah. We didn't really get there, but like, you know, there's so many things going on in television and film right now here and theater. And it really is, it has not through our efforts, but it really has grown. So but when we started, there was the Codco and the Mummers and people used to call us the Cummers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look back at it, like when you look, so when I was at university and of course, as a university student, we weren't able to like afford cable per se. So you're just really watching stuff off the internet. And it's like, I remember watching like a CBC promo and they had like the Rick Mercer report. This hour is 22 minutes. Great Big C was, I think it was like Alan Doyle was doing the song over and they just had all this Newfoundland content. And I'm like, okay, is this CBC Newfoundland or is this CBC? Because to me at this point when I was at university and then seeing all this content on CBC that was coming from Newfoundland or had Newfoundlanders in it, I was like, man, like... I even mentioned it to Tom Power. I was like, do you think that we're like well-plucked? Do you think like people come to Newfoundland? They're like, okay, we got to find the next big thing here. We got to find somebody. And uh, he's like, I think we're well-tapped. He's like, I think Newfoundlanders have done well for themselves. I'm like, yeah, because at one point, like you said, it was almost like, who who were you looking up to? Like, who were people from Newfoundland that you idolized? At this case, like you're saying, there was really no one in comedy or no one to look at and say, all right, where do I go for advice? But uh, all Newfoundlanders are comedians anyway, as you know. So, you know, there was, you know, that. (laughs) Yeah, but it's just just interesting to me because when you look at the the media landscape now, like I think even, it's funny because I I never looked at this side, but when we had George Strombo on in one of his interviews, I mentioned to him like about Newfoundlanders and the CBC. And he's like, yeah, he's like, if there was one point they said it felt almost like an outcast to be from Toronto, CBC's in Toronto, but they would always go to Newfoundland and be like, no, we got to find a Newfoundlander because they're doing, they're doing well. And I was just like, really, George, I was like, I-, I guess, I guess I can see your point because there's Tom power with the Q, And then, you know, now Mark Critch has his own show coming on CBC too. So it's almost like, okay, they're, they're finding their spots. But nobody came looking for Mark Critch or no, no, no. Tom power. No. Tom Power and Mark Critch, through their own talent, like fight or hard might. work, yeah. <laughs> you know, got those things right. Nobody yeah. came looking for no, Mark. no. I, I like, mean, Mark I think, Critch is a big star because, yeah. of course, CBC would want to go on with him because yeah. he's very, very popular on this hour is twenty two minutes. He sold. He wrote a book that was, you know, a bestseller. Uh, you know, he was up for the Leacock Award. He, you know, and so naturally they want to tap into that and use what he brings to feather their own nest, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same way as like, you know, when a country artist or a country star wants to make it big, they go to Nashville. So it's almost like CBC was kind of looking and being like, you know, in in Strombo's case, if this was his argument, it's almost like, well, we have Newfoundlanders that are doing well with this hour's 22 minutes. If we're going to come out with a new project, like, yeah, let's give one of the Newfoundlanders that's doing well already in our program some more, you know, some more exposure. Because I don't they're think already they care well. that we're Newfoundlanders. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter to the CBC. No. I don't think anyway. The CBC has never given any... I mean, like you said, there was a period of time there where Rex Murphy was on and yeah. Rick had his own show and this hour is 22 minutes was mostly Newfoundlanders and stuff. I think that got right up on CBC's last nerve. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? You know, let's get yeah. these... <laughs> I just think it's I, like I just think it's interesting just like, like I said because most times in, in cases you might see like it being more uh, I won't say diverse but like if it's a Canada broadcasting corporation you're like okay we want to get BC represented we want to get Alberta represented we want to get like all Canada representative and here you got like Newfoundlanders basically in my mind it was almost like taking over to CBC because every time you looked at CBC it was like a Newfoundlander on a certain program and I was like well this is a, this is encouraging for us wow I never found that at all because, of course, everything was out of Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, and that's where CBC wants things to be from. Sorry for talking with my mouth. You know, so much content comes out of BC. I mean, 
I'm I'm just saying there were a few things, and as a Newfoundlander, of course, you'd notice them. You'd go, "Wow, yeah. look at us! We're on TV." Because before Codco, we weren't on TV at all. Yeah, it's there was like nothing who, about Newfoundland. We might as well have not existed. <laughs> there was only Newfie joke books. So, yeah. you know, it's just that it's not you know that old thing. It's not so much how how that the dog how well the dog dances is that the dog dances at all. It's yeah. like. It's not that we're on so much. It's that we're on at all. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it's yeah. just like for, for a generation, I guess, for myself to see that exposure, like that you guys didn't get to see, like when you grew up, mm. it's kind of interesting to be like, okay, like now we have people that we can say, uh, like even, even to this day, just say, I, I'm not saying that they do, but just say if there was like a young comedian or a young actress and they're like, you know what? Like Mary Welch is actually in St. John's or wherever, like, you know, send her an email or send her a message. Like you didn't get to do that. And not just because there's the technology wasn't there, but it's almost like, you know, who were you going to at this point? There was yeah. not really many. Right. Yeah. No, uh, no, no, um, you're right. So the other thing I want to ask you too, is of course, between Codco and this hour is 22 minutes. Now I asked you before, if we were okay with talking about this, like I've openly expressed on my podcast many times, I overcome disabilities or obstacles. Well, I'm a person with a disability. I have Sturge Weber, but you between, have what? Uh, Sturge Weber syndrome. So it's what like is uh, that? it's like a branch of kind of like epilepsy. It causes seizures. Oh. So you know, Tommy had epilepsy. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, because they were driving home when he was only a little boy on New Year's Eve, and they were hit by a fire truck. A drunken fireman was driving a fire truck and the you remember how there used to be those things that you put down on the door that drove into Tommy's head and caused mm. him to have epileptic fits and so until he was 15 or 16 he was on very very heavy I think you know phenobarbital and and stuff like okay. that to decrease the seizures and uh, then as as he got older they got less and less like that, yeah. that's how I'm, that's how I'm finding now. Cause when I was younger, it used to be like, you steer off into space. And then as you got older, it was like your arm and leg kind of, you'd see a bright light and your arm and leg went weak. Now yeah. it's to the point where it's like the right side of your body just kind of goes weak, but like full conscious the whole time. So I can tell ah, people. Yeah. 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 But, well, that's good. Good for you. Yeah. Good. I want to ask you, cause between going from Codco to this hour is 22 minutes. I believe like the Toronto star had this reported there too, but like, they were talking about you battling alcoholism and you mentioned a quote of more or less saying like you, you were so glad that you got through it because you don't think you would have done this hour's 22 minutes if this was still like in your system or you were still battling this. Like, tell me like how tough a battle that was to go from like to, to face this kind of addiction. It's funny now. Cause it's so long ago, you know? Yeah. And you know, it's like when people have babies, they go on to have the next baby, even though they swear when they're having the baby that they'll never go through pain like that again, but yeah. they just forget. So it's one of the really good things about being a human being, I guess, is that we tend to forget the more painful. But there wasn't really a break. We stopped in 92, and this yeah. hour started in 93. So I had stopped drinking in October, I guess, and then I went to Theatre London in London, Ontario, and did a play with Martha Henry and... Comfure. And so that was tough. That was really tough because I just didn't know how to have an opening night. But luckily, Roly Eugle was there and he'd been sober for 20 years. And Calm had been sober. I suppose I shouldn't say that. I don't know, for a couple of years too. And so, you know how sometimes you just fall into something. And so everybody was in the same boat, kind of. So it was really, I was so grateful for that. And I realized that everything, I realized that everything in my life had been an excuse to drink, really, like opening night, really the only reason I get ready for opening night was so I could get loaded on opening night. So bit by bit. So then we started, I guess that was, I was there till January. I can't remember really when we started this hour, but by the time I got to this hour, you know, I wasn't struggling with the actual wanting to have a drink, I was still struggling with the isms of alcoholism, yeah. uh, but I wasn't really struggling with wanting to have a drink. So, and of course I never would have been able to do a weekly show if I'd been drinking, you know, it just wouldn't, just would never have happened, you know. When did you finally, cause some people find a breaking point where it's like something just happens in their life and they're like, man, this has to stop. Like this, this is like tearing me apart here. But like, did you ever have a moment where you just kind of sat there and just said, okay, like, this is, this is messing things up for me. Like I got to stop. Or like, when did this kind of breaking point come through that, 
okay, I've got to battle this or I've got to find a way to, to defeat this. I didn't have, you know, a big heroic. It was, I did it because I had a son. Yeah. And I just realized at some point that I was going to have to get sober. And it really, yeah. what well, didn't make me happy. The thought of it didn't make me happy. It made me very unhappy, you know, but I realized that I was just going to have to do it. And there was no, I mean, it was like, I guess, you know, people talk about spiritual awakenings. Yeah. And I guess that was, you know, it doesn't sound very spiritual or something, but one day on the stairs with a terrific hangover, having drunk a bottle of whiskey at Ron Hines's the night before, not gotten home till 11 o'clock in the day. And my partner at the time was very, very angry with me. And yeah. I was sitting on the stairs and I just, it just came to me that I had to do, I had to, I had to get sober. And then that made me really unhappy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it, like obviously like anything, like, you know, if someone's trying to quit smoking, quit drinking or whatever, like it, it's obviously a tough process. Mm. Like, did you ever have moments of, I like, again, feel free to answer yes or no to this, but like ever have moments where like you had so many months that you were sober and the next minute you just like relapsed or you just thought like, okay, like I didn't, it's I just didn't going, thank God, okay. you know, yeah. at that point I, I've been knock on wood, you know, I've, I've been sober now, uh, October the 31st, I'll be sober. 29 years. Oh, wow. So, you know, I'm really very grateful for that because um, it's like having a life. <laughs> yeah. Do, like, do, do people obviously like that probably don't know about this side? Like, if you're going to a party or something, do they offer you a drink? Like, how hard do you find? Like, is it harder now or is it easier now to just say, like, no, I, I don't want one or I'm, I'm okay? You know, the funny thing is when you're drinking all the time, you think everybody's drinking all the time and you think yeah. the whole world is half loaded, you know, because you are. Yeah. But when you're not drinking, I mean, I don't, nobody offers me a drink. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even when I first quit, like people would, you know, be saying, oh my God, it's so bad at Christmas parties. And people are saying, you know, go at, go on by, have a drink. Yeah. But I don't think I ever experienced that. I think people were relieved that I wasn't drinking. There'd be more for them. And, yeah. uh, and you know, like uh, I, I never came under any pressure to have a drink. You know, yeah. I got supported. Uh, by everyone, I think everyone was sick and tired of me, it, you know, being in the state I was in. I think everybody was relieved that, uh, you know, it might be on its way out. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I find it interesting because like I've I don't think I, I maybe I had one drink one time, but I just didn't like like, you know, and people yeah. will make funny. People will make funny because it it's Newfoundland, too. But it's like I didn't like the taste of it or I just wasn't into it. And like that's when I was just basically like, yeah, I have no problem telling people I don't drink. And then people yeah. come up and be like. Oh, like you're straight edge or you're clean. I'm like, listen, I don't care if you drink, you go yeah. ahead and have a drink. But like, to me, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with not having a drink. It's like, if yes. someone, if someone came over to you and you had like a seven up to like, how dare you drink a seven up in front of me? I'm like, it has nothing to do with you. Like you, if you have something in seven up, that's fine. But like, to me, I'm just going to drink this seven up. So calm down. <laughs> that never happened to me. <laughs> oh, well, nobody now really gives a shit what I drink or what I don't drink. I guess when I was, drinking way too much and being obnoxious yeah. i guess i was getting in people's you know way yeah. but like standing cut, in the cut corner at seven up sure who yeah. knows and who cares you know yeah yeah well that's yeah. what's going to happen mary next time i see you out in public and you're doing something i'll just be like mary how dare you eat that in front of me and you'll be like mm -hmm. you'll be like shut up and i'll be like mary just told me to shut up everybody and you'll be like mm -hmm. yeah what are you going to do about it I'll be like nothing just telling you like you know probably don't eat that <laughs> uh, <laughs> i want to ask you too because now you know being on this hour is 22 minutes how long have you been on? Like, how long were you on 22 minutes? Do you remember? 12 years I stayed. 12 years. All right. Like, in that 12 years, like, do you remember anything? Like, because obviously there's iconic moments that you remember, or like laughter or whatever, like certain moments that way. But like, was there anything that you're really proud of on 22 minutes that you come back to him? Like, I can't believe I did that. Or like, this is something that kind of cements your legacy. It's really like not like me to be like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, I'm going to make you like that. that Mary. I'm making you like of, that with this question. <laughs> I know, but it just doesn't. I mean, it doesn't apply to me because I never think that way. I think you know, I things I enjoyed on 22 minutes. You know, you know, it was always a really hard. It was really hard. We did a live show every week. We started on Monday with nothing, and yeah. Friday night we did a hard a, a live show. So you know, it was hard, and um, you know, some weeks. I just would be crying on Saturday because I didn't think I got the laughs. And, yeah. you know, so the great thing about it was in Codco, you could be crying and then you just keep on crying because it'd be a whole other year till you were on again. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
the uh, with 22 minutes by Monday, you had to stop the, you know, crying because you had to get at it to do another yeah. live show. Yeah. So it was great like that. Like if you uh, didn't let you rest in those darker areas, yeah. you just had fest, to keep going, yeah, right? It, like instead of festering over it, it's almost yeah, like, okay. Yeah, on, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's funny because Mark said the same thing when we interviewed him. Mark was saying like, Sometimes you're there and you're in a, you're going over rehearsal and the joke is killing it. Like everyone's laughing. And then when you go to do it live, nobody laughs. And it's like, oh my God, where do we go from here? It's like, just keep going. Just let, like, yeah. let it, like, 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 just let it fly off you because maybe something that you didn't think is going to be funny. They're going to like laugh at, and you're going to be like, okay, I got them back. But yeah, yeah it's always, I, I feel like a lot of comedians would say that. Like when you don't get the laugh, it's almost like, it's a little bit draining. Like I think Colin Mockery said he kind of got into comedy because when he told a joke or did his first kind of stand up or set or when his friend dared him to, he's like, it, it became like an addiction to him where like people started laughing. You're like, okay, this is a way to make friends and get people around. I'm like wrong way to do it, Colin. But I'm like, I, I feel you when people laugh at me, when I make a joke, I'm like, okay, let's keep this going. Because the moment that you start going serious, they're like, Oh, I don't like Brian. Brian went a little bit serious. I'm like, Oh man, got to come up with some more jokes. <laughs> I don't know, Brian. I mean, I I know that, you know, it used to be very hard not to get the laugh and we would be very depressed. Like Mike Jones shot a film of us after we did a show in Carlton, I think, at your at your okay. school. And we were totally unprepared and really and everything was flat, just flat. And we were just backstage and we we're really, really depressed. Um, How do people make friends then? You know, if you're not <laughs> especially in Newfoundland, if you're not funny, then you might as well go hang yourself, really. <laughs> so how, yeah. how would you suggest that people make friends? I was lucky enough that when I was in high school, so I, I've said this a few times on like other posts as well, because I think people get bored of like you bitch or like me bitching at stuff, but it's like, uh, I wasn't very like popular in high school. Like I, I always felt that I was funny, but just not very popular. So I kind of grew up in a Newfoundland area where I was like, okay, people got you already stalemated or put you in a box of this is what you are. This is what you're always going to be. So when I went up to Ottawa, I didn't have that stigma of your Sean's brother, your Paul's brother, like your somebody's brother or whatever relative. So it just came out as soon as I mentioned that I was from Newfoundland like I figured, okay, they're going to come out with new fee yeah. jokes or slang against Newfoundlanders. But like, yeah. I basically said, listen, like I'm going to take what Newfoundlanders do and take it with a grain of salt and like, you know, just be self humorous. And then people kind of grew to like that. And then I realized that people were like, Oh, you're from Newfoundland. I love Newfoundland. And then they go on about how they love Newfoundland. I'm like, so I don't really even have to try up here. I'm just a Newfoundlander that can make friends based on the fact I'm a Newfoundlander. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> I know Newfoundlanders had a whole rebranding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Newfoundland, you know, we were just stupid newbies. Yeah. And it was like a horrible place. It was like a Ken Harvey novel, just yeah. awful. And now it's like we're like a Broadway musical. It's like yeah. everybody loves Newfoundland now. It's weird. Yeah. I wonder I, I wonder if Come From Away had something to do with that. Because everyone loves Come From Not Away. Not just Come From yeah. Away. You know. Yeah. The Newfoundland tourism ads, for God's sake, you wish you lived in Newfoundland yourself, even though you are living here when you watch them. Yeah, yeah. You I know, love Danny, Danny Williams taking down the flag that time. Yeah. You know, like, the come from away is only a little tiny part of it, you know. Yeah. Well, my favorite one when I grew up, and uh, it's funny because we see, when you're watching, like, Hockey Night in Canada, from Ontario perspective and then a Newfoundland perspective, it was like we would see the Ontario co uh, commercials and as a child, you're seeing Parliament Hill, you're seeing um, like the Rideau Canal, hockey, or like what is it called? The Hockey Hall of Fame. So as a yeah. kid, I'm thinking all of this is in one place. It's not. But right. they, they like made it look so great, right? Yeah. And then like it's like uh, visit ontariotourism.ca, which I think is the epitome of what Ontario is. It's basically like don't ask a person. Just go to our website because we don't want to talk to you. Where in Newfoundland, it was almost like – the farthest place from Disneyland, you can go. I'm like, great, great way to open it up. Young people love that. But when you see like the land, uh, they talk about the language, like the different language that we have down here and all that. And I'm like, okay, that is enticing. Like when you're up away for so, so odd or so many years and then you come home. But I like at the end of our commercial, which I still get teased at sometimes today is call Sarah, call Jill. And I'm like, so is there only one Jill in Newfoundland? I'm like, no. But the idea of the commercial is so that you understand that when you talk to Jill, it's like a face-to-face -face conversation compared to 
up here, you're basically telling me to go to a website. You don't make right. it sound very personal. So right. I love that. But I just like how, yeah, with the Newfoundland tourism, when, when the first time I seen it up away, I'm like, man, who's coming when you say it's the farthest place from Disneyland? But as you get older, you're like, you know what? That's not actually that bad. <laughs> you know, I don't want to always be around Disneyland. I like going sightseeing on my own time and, you know, embracing the culture. That's only one ad, though, Brian. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fair. It's yeah, only one that, ad. <laughs> that is, doesn't even play anymore. That was one ad. <laughs> Uh, and it appealed to a certain group Demo. of people, right? Yeah. 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 But I, I do like how our, our commercials seem, and I guess it's, you know, credit to people who do these commercials, but it's like, it does really show Newfoundland. It has like the jelly bean houses. It shows like um, in the one with the language, it says like, you know, it's a different dialogue here. And when I'm watching that up away, I'm kind of laughing at it. Cause like, yeah, I get that. But then someone from like Ontario or out West is kind of like, like, do you, do you guys speak different languages there? I'm like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, come on, like embrace it. But yeah, like all of a sudden, like you said, uh, I know where it was being hated or like mm-hmm. almost don't want to go there. And then it's almost like yeah. I as soon as you say it to someone now where it's like, oh, I'm from Newfoundland. It's like, oh, I'd love to see that. Or it's like, I, I we've been in Newfoundland, loved it. I'm the like, only place I haven't been. I'm dying to go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, almost, yeah. It's almost like you're the representative. It used to be like people would go, oh, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they think you're the representative at the end of the commercial. Like call Brian. Right. I'm like, I'm like, no, that's another Brian. <laughs> like I'm just I'm just the other Brian. Um right. I want I want to ask you too, because I know we talked about 22 minutes and Codco a bit, but like I was actually very interested because I was watching Hudson and Rex, because it's you know filmed here in Newfoundland. They were filming not that long ago here in Whitless Bay, but I remember I was watching it one time just because I was like, Oh, it's filmed here in Newfoundland, and you were on the episode. And I was like really enticed in like the character they made you play. So I was like, man, this is Mary Walsh. How are they going to use her? And then it's almost like a little bit of a, a devilish side of it, a little bit of the, the cop side. And I was just like, I was like, oh, like she played this very well. But like, can you explain how you ended up getting this part? And like, did they come to you um, and ask you like, hey, do you want to be in this? And well, I'm an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have an agent. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that, Mary. Wouldn't have guessed. And that. I have an agent. <laughs> And yeah. so then, you know, I just did transplant in Montreal. Yeah. So they reach out to my agent and they say, you know, we have a part for a woman who's a, of a certain age. Is Mary available? Then they say yes or no. <laughs> then they ask me if I want to do it, you know, yeah. and then I do it. And That's how, the way like, it works. <laughs> and like, how, how fun was that playing that kind of part? Like, you know, well, it was you're... a really stupid one because <laughs> I murdered two people totally unnecessarily. <laughs> I mean, you know, I could have just cooked the books. There was no need for two murders. Plus, then I confessed without even any pressure at all. I just sat down in front of Hudson. Yeah. And just told him the entire story. Like, yeah. It you was know, yeah. It's almost it wasn't like, the best it, Hudson and Rex episode. There are some fabulous Hudson and Rex episodes, and some of Hudson and Rex really, I guess, it's the dog. Everybody loves the dog, and yeah. then the landscape. I mean, they do a fabulous job of like things look, but that particular one, and everybody felt it too, yeah. uh, was just a lot of you know unnecessary murders, and uh, she could have solved them in another way, uh, and uh, then a complete. Uh, you know, it, it, like they always say, show, don't tell. Whereas yeah. I sat down and told and told. Yeah, and it's told almost like as soon told. as they sat you down, you were like, all right, I'm, re- I'm ready to blab. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like how, like, you're, you're right. Because the way that they use sometimes the characters, uh, sometimes it's hit or miss. Like, I think when we had Justin Kelly on, on um, I, I believe he plays Hudson's like kind of right-hand man, like more of the tech savvy. I'm blanking on the name now. Uh, but like, I remember having him on and I was talking to him about Alan Hocko's episode. And I was like, how do you have Alan Hocko in this episode and not bring in like Republic of Doyle? How do you not make this a crossover? And he was like, he's like, yeah, we, we just missed the mark. I'm like, no, you didn't try. You just brought him in as this bad guy. It's like people would probably like the crossover. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because I, I mean, he he did like kind of hint at that, like, oh, it could be in the future we could do it. I'm like, well, yeah. But like, I think that's what people want to see is like, you know, have this big. You know, um, Hudson and Rex has a massive international audience, right? Yeah. I mean, they sell in 15 countries, uh, 15 or 20 countries. And, you know, I mean, I guess like a lot of it is the star and the dog and the landscape and and just the ease of the murder mystery. And so if the Republic of Doyle was still on, they would do a crossover. But Republic of Doyle hasn't been on for years. So, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's almost like if it's not still relevant, like why would you do that? But I yeah. guess there w- there would be, I guess, a fan base that would have been, you know, it's like I come from a generation here where we grew up on like Boy Meets World. And they did a Girl Meets World where the guy in Boy Meets World that we watched is now the father. So like there's that age generation that's like, oh, yeah, I remember watching this. So like, yeah, like a younger generation might like Hudson and Rex because it's Hudson and Rex. Yes. A little bit of an older crowd might be like, I remember Republic of Doyle. Oh, how are they going to use this in this episode? But it's like saying, you know, Alan's also in that show that's on uh, a Michael Conley novel, I think. Um and and he plays a character in it, and and it's an American show, yeah. and it's a big adventure show, and you're not going to ask them to make him, you know, what's his name, Doyle, because yeah, he yeah. does all kinds of. I mean, he's a working mm-hmm. actor, so he's constantly playing different roles, brilliantly bringing new stuff to new. You know what I mean? Maybe they'll yeah. do a a movie or something of uh, of of Republic of Doyle, right? That would be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're, cl- we're closing up on the, the end of the interview here. I want to ask uh, a little bit of the fun aspect of the podcast uh, where it's kind of like a shoot fire question here. If you had a project that you were looking back on that like either you auditioned for or you, you've seen it later on and you thought like, oh, I would have liked that role. Is there something that comes to mind that you thought like, oh, that would be a cool role to have? Well, you know, a lot of things, really. I mean, have we got all day? You know, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I got all day. I really <laughs> like uh, acting. You know, I like the process, but mostly I have to spend time writing my own parts and then producing them. And, and so I really enjoy all the roles I get. And so I always think, oh, I could do that. Why they have, you know, I'm like, I didn't realize that in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, when yeah. the mechanicals are saying, the guy of the mechanical is saying, I could be the moon. Why can't I be the moon? I know I'm the wall, but I could play the moon too. Yeah. And that Shakespeare was making fun of actors because we're all like that. Like, why, why, why don't I have that role? I could do that role. They don't know I could do that role, you know. Yeah. So there's so many. It's just, uh, you know, not even worth mentioning. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like as someone who does podcasting, but also likes getting into the acting side, it's like when you send out something, like when they ask you to send out a tape or something and you send it out and then you're like, I'm going to do that role, that role and that role. And they're like, okay, easy. I'm like, listen, I'm just putting all my, all my eggs in a basket, hoping that I get something. And then they're like, yeah, okay, we'll keep you in mind. I'm like, please do. (laughs) Um, I want to ask too, like going over now COVID, I feel like we're getting near the end of COVID here in Newfoundland. I don't know about the rest of the world. I don't keep track of the rest of the world, but I like what was something that you either accomplished or you set aside during COVID and you thought, Oh, well now that we're kind of in a lockdown, I got to do this or I got to accomplish this. Well, I had directed my and written and, and was in my first feature film in about 2007. It was called young Triffy based on Ray guys play young Triffy has been made away with. And I did it with Cinemaginaire. It was about a $4 million movie, which is a lot of money uh, for a Canadian. People are still making $600,000 movies. You know what I mean? And it was an absolute and total failure. It was my first time directing. I, I just stopped. I just stopped. It was just so horrible. I never did it. So what COVID helped me to do is I'd always wanted to make a film of Agnes Walsh's poem, Dad in the Fridge Box. And so I got the script done. I raised the money. I made the film. We edited the film. The film's going out to, it's just a short film. So it got me back on the bike again. And it was like years that I just, I just couldn't get back uh, in the director's chair again because I had had such a traumatic go round with Triffy. But um, mm-hmm. so that was great. And then Dave Sullivan was writing on Facebook, these things about the missus downstairs. And then I, I contacted Dave because we had lots of time. And I said, you know, I was born to be the Mrs. Downstairs and you're born to be you. We should do this. So we raised the money for that and we shot that this summer. It's really, it's just six 10-minute pieces for five. And Kathy and I did more, you know, the thing on Jim, that's not from This Hour is 22 Minutes. That's a production. I produced that. Yeah, yeah. Kathy and I did at the beginning of the pandemic more Mrs. E's because at the beginning of the pandemic, we, the Mrs. E's who are in their 80s, were the, you know, the targeted group. So we did a lot of just me here in Newfoundland and her there. And we went on the thing. So there was, and I darned some socks too, (laughs) which I hadn't done in 30 years. I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. I'm going to end up darning socks. And I started my second book. 
Uh, my first book, um, you know, was a Canadian bestseller called Crying for the Moon. And now I'm on my second one. And so I started on that. And, you know, we're making another, we made Christmas Fury. And now we have a script for Halloween Fury, which is, you know, frighteningly funny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so a lot, I got a lot of work done because a lot of my time, in the last 10 years or so before COVID have been spent on the road, just going from gig to gig to gig to gig. And so the, I hate to say this because it sounds so cruel in a way, but COVID, I, I, I had a very good plague. It was good for me. That's fair. I feel like, you know, I, I, I'll put it my own word in here too. Cause you know, in terms of COVID when it first started, like, yes, there's panic. There was people worrying. I'm kind of like a hermit anyway, like any, like I like to kind of keep to myself most times or I'll interact yeah. with people. But like I use COVID as a, like a way of like, oh, I'm going to go watch Saved by the Bell. I'm going to watch like this era's like, uh, you know, like some yeah. this era's 22. Like, actually, it's funny because I started taking out VHSs and turning them into like things that you can put on your computer. Right. And the biggest the biggest slate we have in my house is like there's home videos that apparently I taped over for wrestling. And I was like, right. OK. And then there's <laughs> ones that I find that's just no label. And it's my brother had taped this hour's 22 minutes off the TV. So I'm just like, Oh, that's, that's great. Like, right. Awesome. <laughs> We're going to put this on like a computer as well. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask too, to, to kind of close it out, but, and I, I feel like I wouldn't be doing anyone fair if I didn't, if I didn't say this, but like in Kathy's interview, Kathy, I think we had her on just before the East coast music awards happened. And uh, Kathy was like, Critch, Critch and Mary like to do, all this work, they like to be so like they like to be involved. They like to keep themselves busy. She's like, I'm one of those people that like likes to do nothing. It's like if I could get paid to do nothing, I love to that. And I gave her the joke, and I said, if I ever have Marianne, I'll tell her the joke. But I was like, man, like here you see Marianne Republic of Doyle, you see her on Hudson and Rex. She's doing ECMAs. It's like Mary, you know, it's okay to stay home, count your money, and just be happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't always have to be going out everywhere. It's like it's okay. But I enjoy it so much. Like I just did a little tiny bit on Sweetland. Uh, Alison White and uh, Christian uh, are producing it. And um, I love, I mean, I just love it so much. So it's not like a big, you know, like, oh my God, I'm worked to death. It's like, oh, I love doing that. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Mary Walsh for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening and good night. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.